Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Tower Casuals, the Destiny podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Corey Deergan. Alongside me, as always, is, you know, the uh, Dallas Maverick super fan and only one Destiny nickname tonight. The answer, Josh Finney. Oh, my God. Guys, I'm going through it right now. The NBA draft is happening right now. My Mavericks are causing my blood pressure to dip and dive right now. I really wish I was recording. (laughs) Guys, literally, I I told Corey, I saw it came across my feed. I was waiting until they picked for us to start. And it comes up. Dallas Mavericks are trading pick number 10. Fuck. That is like the worst case scenario for me to see. They're trading it to Oklahoma City. Even worse, because that's like three hours away via I-35. They've got so many first round picks. And then they take the guy. They take one one of the two guys left that I was okay with using a pick on to make matters entirely worse. But we got off of the contract of the Latvian laser, Davis Bertans, in exchange to move back two slots. Done. 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 Pack your bag. Pack your fucking bags, my man. You can go be an albatross on that team. Oh, boy. Wow. Wow, Josh is really excited, everybody. You should have seen uh, his roller coaster of emotions just now in the last. Like, I, I literally, minutes. I was crying for a different reason. It's true. It's true. I it share was, uh... exactly what is on when you log into Twitter and you're you're typing out something that's going on. It it says what is happening? Question mark exclamation point. That's me, but like with fifty more exclamation points and question marks behind it. This I did not have to take John Collins on. This is the like the best night ever. I'm good. I'm good. Whew. Whew. Josh is excited, everybody. It's been a it's been a really good week. Okay. It's been it's been a really good week. It's been it's been a pretty good week. I'm not gonna not gonna not gonna sugarcoat it. Uh it's been it's been good. It's been busy. Although I've been nursing this extreme back pain, Josh. Oof. So, uh, yeah, there, I, uh, <laughs> my chair back there that I usually sit and play games in, I've been mm-hmm. sleeping in and like, I've been, God. I have two like storage totes over here turned upside down and a blanket covering them. So I have la- like leg room. <laughs> Unreal. Oh, oh God. I, I, Good pinched times. A, I pinched a nerve last year, right before we went on vacation and Ooh. it was the worst thing. I was like, I was sleeping with like ice packs on my back. Like Ooh. just, we, we have several because of my horrible legs. But I put the, I like slept on top of them <laughs> to try and get my back to stop hurting before I had to go sit on a plane. Sitting on a plane with back pain is the worst. That's like the actual, maybe like most, not like bat worst pain I've ever been in, but like the most irritating, I think. It's like, you yeah. can't stretch, you can't scratch your back. It's awkward. There's people fucking looking at you because you're squirming every five seconds. It's awful. Yeah, it's awful. I feel like an old man. Nerd, you're old. I, I need I need advice on what to do with my bad back. Mm. Me too, while you're at it. You're old, nerd. Although I think he's younger than I am, but that's fine. Uh, anyways, Josh, Josh, major things have happened this week. Major things one, have happened this week. One episode after 150. What? That, when that there was, been a massive 
bomb to drop on our 150th I episode. This, I guessed this was going to happen when I played the story last week and it was a big nothing burger. I was like, oh, it's going to happen. It's you gonna said happen. it on episode 149 on the episode. You said that there's yep. something big going to happen right after our 150th episode. Because... <laughs> yep. Yep. Just the way it was going. It was it's the it's the second to last week of the season of the seasonal story. Seasonal story will wrap up presumably at reset um, on Tuesday. If not, it'll wrap up at the end of the season with an epilogue. I, man, I really wish we could have talked about this last week. Not that we didn't have a great episode 150. Shout out to our winner again, Nadiki, by the way, uh, who not only won the graphic novel, but dominated our fashion contest we were having in the server. Um, it's it's time it's time to step down there, Nadiki. You're you yeah, you're you're, you're done. You're, you're done. I'm. <laughs> I'm happy that this is finally in the game. This is the infamous cutscene that was data mined and posted within an hour of the season going live in May. Mm-hmm. I had miraculously avoided spoilers with the exception of one screen cap up until now. And I'm so happy that I avoided all of this because to get to experience this in game, it is we're, we're jumping straight in here there. It's a nothing twab this week. We're jumping right in here. And then we've got another big topic afterwards that the community's yeah. talking about. This is, it, it is not an exaggeration to say this is the most important cutscene in probably in the history of Destiny. Yeah. And uh, they buried it in a mid middle of a, a season in the middle of a year. <laughs> Corey, you said you had some thoughts on this. I want you to share your thoughts yeah. before we get into the greatness of this cutscene. And I also have some commentary yes. on how it was delivered. I, I want to make it clear the cutscene and the content in this cutscene, incredible amazing right the like it was a a revelation it's the it's literally the question we've been asking for like what since alpha essentially right or even since maybe some people have been asking since halo odst what's that white ball in the sky you know like the the way it was delivered this Mm -hmm. i feel like this type of thing should have been Lightfall's finale the campaign the main campaign's finale should have revolved around this cutscene and delivering it yeah. I don't understand why this was in like even even if it was part of the first season okay I get it but a, a, season, a second season that most people probably have to pay for and a lot of people that you know maybe follow the story tangentially but maybe just play the campaigns and move on to other games right yeah, this is a massive story beat that you will need to understand when the final shape rolls around. Why are you bearing it in a season? You know, like that's that's my issue. You know, and, and I don't know if anybody else has this revelation. I've tried to stay off of, you know, Bungie Twitter and I haven't even watched Bife's videos this week because I've been trying to like, you know, save the <laughs> save my thoughts to be fresh. But like, why are you burying this information in a story, a seasonal storyline? Yeah, so I want to I want to kind of speak to that. Bife had a really good analogy, and I haven't watched this stuff either. But he had a really good analogy on Twitter. This is the equivalent of giving us the car frame and the engine stuff in Lightfall. You've almost yeah. everything, and then keeping the wheels back. I. I agree. Um, I think that this is a problem. 
this highlights for me i i actually think that this i i kind of agree with five i think this elevates the season i think this makes this season automatically a very good season just automatically based off of this alone like yes. the activities have been good i think the loot is pretty decent it's got it gives the best dungeon that we've ever gotten in the franchise my biggest problem here is with seasons itself i think that this cutscene more than anything shows that seasons as they exist in destiny cannot functionally continue yeah this um, this feels this feels like almost like a even if they it, it, i think for seeing after seeing this and like obviously like hindsight's 2020 or you know obviously you can make these t- talk about these things after they happen but this really feels like lightfall maybe should have reverted back to the old expansion ways like lightfall and final shape should have reverted back to the old expansion ways right of like here i'm going to give you 30 dollars. here's a campaign here's a small campaign and some activities to do and maybe they just continually update the activities that you do and, and stuff like they used to do because this was way too important to be you know i, I don't know man i was i was shocked when i watched it i like i thought <laughs> i thought it was somebody messed up something at first <laughs> like um, I don't know, man. Yeah, so I, I don't have a problem with the big moments happening in seasons. We, we've had so many times now, right? Yeah, Stuff but this like, is a this so, is a well, big th- moment. So th- man. Th- this is that's gonna lead that's gonna lead to kind of my point. Seasons worked fine when we had things like dawn and arrivals going on, but this highlights the problem that we've had for a very long time of key story beats like dawn cannot be replayed, and those have story missions in them. Saving Saint fourteen is a major pivotal point in the game. That is mm-hmm. where we start to defy Elsie's dark timeline. Yeah. Um, Arrivals was a huge moment. And I get the feeling of you had to be there. And I still think that that, I think that works well as a seasonal event, because I think you look at overall what happens in the season and you're like, outside of the pyramid ships and like the Exodus quest line, you're like, huh, okay. Like fighting Nocris, Okay. That, like, there's not, a, there's not a lot to deal with there. Let's be honest. Like there's not a whole lot of deep stuff there. Um, it's made it's it was automatically made less interesting when you realized that Savathun was going to get a ghost six months later. Yeah. Um, I would say that the biggest thing that I've realized with seasons is you look at things like us fighting Keitel and then ultimately forming the alliance after Zavala's assassination attempt. You look at the events of Splicer. In the past, those two seasons would have been their own like House of Wolves level expansions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I genuinely think, and I mean, we've spitballed this for a while with Final Shape, and I mean, that that was a couple years ago, right? You look at last year with Haunted, Haunted would have easily been its own, you know, oh, you got a new destination mm-hmm. with the Leviathan coming back, just flush it out a little bit more, you know, you got that activity, you've got, you know, you got all these story missions and stuff, cool, 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 Seraph could have been its own, we could have just cut out uh, Plunder, and yeah. you would have been fine, just tie in the Risen stuff to the campaign. You know, you could have tied yeah. that in as as like a post campaign quest line. Even yeah. um, you look at this year, and I think if you would have combined like defiance and this, you could have actually had a really cool storyline. I think bridging the two, you know, with Amanda's death kind of being the bridge point. Regardless, this cutscene needed to be in Lightfall, and the pitch that I made was: I think that Lightfall's post credits mission so to speak the uh exotic lmg quest that we go on 
in the Deluxe yeah. Garden. I think that actually should have been shifted here. That should yeah. have been a DLC thing. Yep. You could have still given us the weapon, but I think that that quest could have been uh, could have been here, or it, it could have even still been in the game. Lightfall was so bare bones in terms of story that you could have still had both of these in there, and it would have made sense. Yeah. Um, along 100%. with the information that we're getting in these Veil quest lines weekly, <clears throat> right? The information that we're getting from there, like that, should have been in there. That should have been a thing. I actually think that would have been really cool if we would have gotten this cutscene at some point. Maybe it would have even been the ending cutscene. I don't know. To like really play up like the this is a part one of two thing, and then you get like you have the veil, the veil mission that you have now. Put that in the main game and have that be bam, bam, bam for like five, five or six weeks straight. You're getting more information about the veil every week. Like we know that that and the traveler are two halves of a whole now. So let's explore that relationship a bit. I think yeah. that would have added a lot more meat and context to the story that we got because with this cutscene, Lightfall automatically goes up a few places. Automatically. With this information, oh, yeah. Lightfall story mm-hmm. gets bumped up. I'm not saying it's like Witch Queen level, but it's it's getting up there. It's like the next tier down from like Witch Queen and Taken King. It's the next tier it's the next tier down. Yeah, I almost I almost feel like if they didn't introduce Strand and Neo Neomuna like the the lightfall campaign could have been a seasonal story almost like that storyline could have just been like a seasonal thing although i guess they revealed the veil and everything but still like i don't know man i i feel like this was so much more important than you know i man i don't know i, I now that i'm thinking about it like this cutscene needed to happen after we found out what the veil was and where it was but like i guess that means that lightfall's campaign needed to be longer I mean, it, it did. Like this, this pretty clearly would have been in. This pretty clearly would have been in it, mm-hmm. and that's that's my biggest issue. I think this would have been pretty clearly the halfway point if Lightfall and Final Shape would have just been one straight campaign, like it was supposed to be originally. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think that this season, in particular, like like I said, you know, when I started out on all this, the seasonal model is so flawed. Not just in terms of like activities and whatnot. Um, I think that this is an issue because not only do seasons go away, but they don't allow us to flesh out as much. Like we're going to get this awesome cutscene, and we're going to wait until August for more context. Right. Um, that's not like that's not very cool with me. Like I think this would have been a really good ending to the campaign or to like a first of two mini expansions. You know, like a. Uh, like a dark below house of wolves situation. Um, I think more than anything, and this is going to kind of tie into what we say, what we talk about after this, um, Bungie's model needs to change. And I think it's holding a day. They've acknowledged that. And I think it's, I think that the current seasonal model is holding on for dear life until they get the final shape out the door. I really genuinely hope that when we're talking about the next content drop in May, 2024, that, it is for a legit content drop and not another seasonal drop. If you mm-hmm. want to put uh, like a 12 week season out with the expansion, that's one thing. That's one thing. You can do that. You want to throw out something fun like the 30th anniversary pack? Fine. What I'm not cool with is you doing all these important story beats. Like I am, I, I, actually, I, I should stop myself. I'm cool with you doing important story beats in the seasons. It makes them feel like I need to be playing them. It, I have this feeling of FOMO if I'm not playing. I need to see these moments. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not opposed but to important story beats either. The problem you know? is you can't go back and play them 
and like a theater is the bare minimum that we need a theater mode is the absolute bare minimum that shouldn't even have to be a request that should be in the fucking game to begin with i don't care that you have listed on your youtube page that should be in the game because the barrier of entry in terms of understanding the story is so high for new lights that your player base is never going to grow yeah the game pass deal was kind of the last time it was safe to jump in i think because you had that was right before everything got sunset so you could still play you you had like six months to play through forsaken and then you still had shadow keep and beyond light and the forsaken pack as a part of that so because well excuse me forsaken didn't even get sunset so it was just it was vanilla d2 and the two mini expansions with some of the raids that got sunset forsaken itself was still there with the season pass content um it's so hard to get people into this game. And we were talking about this in the server earlier that that just goes on to highlight the issues with storytelling like this. Like I describe things that happened in shows and like I've had friends who came in late and missed seasonal content. And they're like, uh, so Keitel is our friend. Why are we fighting her champion? Why are we, why are we duking it out in the proving ground strike? Why are we duking it out in these battlegrounds? Cause there's yeah. no context given. At least with like the Hive Battlegrounds or the PsyOps ones, excuse me, they kind of understand what's going on there. And the Seraph ones, there's more context being given within the actual missions themselves. But it's like you're you're missing again one of the bigger cutscenes that we've gotten in the last few years, which is uh, Keitel uh, or a Crow actually saving Zavala from the assassination attempt, and you know him and Crow, him finding out Crow's identity. You know, mm-hmm. um, we're missing that you're missing the cutscene of Savathun basically detailing how she took over Osiris' body. Um, you're missing the Saint-14, the the tale of the saint. You're yeah. missing him and Mithrax defending the Batsa district. You're missing saving Saint-14. <laughs> you're missing all these huge critical moments. I mean, the Traveler Awakening. Those are moments that can never be seen again. Yeah. And that's really, really frustrating to me when I look back on it, I have to, I have to hope and continue to believe that they have some sort of solution for this, but the time to implement this solution was like a year and a half ago. It's yeah, not now. Like when, when it was just things like undying and almighty fine, who gives a shit? Nobody is crying over the Vex offensive. And I fucking the little Vex portal being built in the middle of the city, which is asinine by the way, as a plot point, nobody is crying foul over, missing out on season of the worthy and seraph towers we're upset about missing season of dawn we're upset about missing the context in chosen and even the context in things like hunt you know how does crow come to join the tower like yeah hunt may be a lackluster season in terms of activity in terms of the story it's actually really important yeah <laughs> like yeah. there's a lot of things that have happened in these seasons and i think that like it, it's so good because it's gotten so many of us to tune in weekly like a tv show but the novelty of that has worn off. It wore off this time last year. It wore out its welcome when we started going on pirate hunts for fucking Nezarax fingers. You didn't, you didn't like you didn't like the finger fingers. No, I'm gonna like be honest. Killer. <laughs> I kind of like I don't want to say like I turned my brain off, but that's where I started dipping for the first time in Destiny in years. Of like, ah, I'd taken like month long breaks before, but I was like actively not interested in a season. I still finished my season pass, but that Seraph, even with all the great things that Seraph had, Seraph is one of our best seasons. 
I was still kind of tuned out. Continue that through Defiance, and this se- I mean, this season is an all-time low in terms of playtime for me. And I, I see a lot of players sharing the same mentality with me. And I don't know, like, a, a lot of attribute it to, like, oh, PvP is dog shit. Like, well, it's been dog shit for a few years. Find, find a new slant. I think all of us are just kind of tired with the seasonal rotation and having these beats. Like, uh, me as a, as a big story nerd, I hate that this is in a season because it's so cool. And I'm so glad that people who play this year are going to get to experience this it's going to be gone in six months unless they change something like this. Bungie, if nothing else has ever convinced you, this cutscene alone has to convince you to have a way to have these stories playable. And guess what? The way that you told it through Sloan and Asha will not make any fucking sense without the context of the season. Yeah. Why is Sloan telling us this story? I still don't know why the fucking fish is telling us this. I have no (laughs) idea how the fish knows this or why. No fucking clue. Yeah, it's kind of... And I'm okay with it for right now because, listen, space magic, okay? But I'm not okay with us basically throwing story content aside. But uh, I don't know. Do we have any more thoughts on this? Because I'd really like to talk about... the. We've talked about how awesome it is. I'd like to actually talk about what happens in it. Yeah, I mean, my last thought is like... Like you, like just to reiterate what you said, it's they need some sort of solution to catch people up. Even if it's like a... You know how sometimes in games like uh, they have a last time on blah, blah, blah. I know Telltale did that. I know Gears of War did it. I I know a lot of games that have sequels do it like they catch you up on the story. So you don't have to replay the whole game. Like at the very least have cutscenes like that somewhere. But like like you said, like this is just it's it's upsetting because the content is so good. And I. I want to talk about the positives too because th- this cutscene was incredible. It was vi- it, <laughs> it was like this shocking revelation, right? So yeah, yeah. Um, so the cutscene, the cutscene in question, tells the history essentially of the traveler and of the witnesses' race. Um, that the traveler is something that they just kind of happened upon. And they worshiped this as this deity, and you know the traveler blessed them like it has other civilizations, you know, like it did the Elixni, and like it did to humanity, obviously. But as this race, and we don't know how long that the traveler was there, but you can assume it was longer than it was here with the humans. You know, the golden age with the humanity lasted like what four or five hundred years, something like that. You can assume it lasted longer than that, probably a millennia. Because they were so enlightened that they went off to search for other things. And they discovered that there was it was one half of a whole. And that the other half was something they called the veil. And that when they communed with that, essentially, is when they were exposed to the darkness for the first time. And that the darkness isn't actually darkness. It's they saw it as bringing order to a chaotic universe. And that the traveler's very existence brings and invites chaos um and so when the traveler realized what they intended to do it fled and so they undertake this ritual to pour all of their knowledge together and in some sort of ritual mass like sacrifice become the witness i wonder and i i want to i want to stop here for a second because that's basically the end of it right 
there's a few observations to be made in this cutscene. The pyramid ships are not like icons of evil or anything. That's just that's the ships that their race built. Um, we see a sketch. One of the sketched images we see is the travelers being raised up by them, right? As like this god, is we see this like advanced city being built underneath it, and it very re- it, the architecture reminds me of the concept art we saw of the darkness city years ago with the launch of Destiny Two. Yeah. I think it's in my art book, actually. I think I, I think I think so as well. I have not checked my art book, but yeah, yeah. I um, because we I, thought the veil, we thought the veil was the race, right? Remember we that we we thought that for years. Yeah. Um, just absolutely wild. Um, I think that there are. I think there's some interesting revelations here, right? Like we say it's the most impactful thing and it's because they crammed so many answers into a two minute cutscene. Mm-hmm. It's so, and it's so well done. Um, like, you know, we see the, we see the veil statues referenced in a piece of art that was definitely plagiarized. Um, <laughs> that they've had to apologize publicly to the artist for. And did they, did they, they end up be, apologizing? They put out a message saying that um, the contractors that they used to make this scene thought that that was a piece of official bungee art and used it and um which isn't too far off basis so this piece of art was used in it was submitted for art of the week two years ago in the twop it was featured and bungee has a license thing when you submit this like hey if you if you put this in we can use this for any purpose that we want yeah um but it's still a shitty thing to do um, I understand why you probably wouldn't reach out to the artist right away and be like, yo, we're using this because you don't want to tip your hand. But yeah, come on. Bungie has plenty of lawyers. Whip up an NDA ag- agreement. You know exactly who it's leaking from if it leaks. Yeah. Um, but if they use the contractor, right? Like, I mean. So first off, that con- that contractor is very quickly on their way to being blacklisted. Um, not just by Bungie, but by the video game industry. That That's a pretty big fuck up. If you're yeah. going to u- directly use a piece, you should probably still ask anyways. Like, hey, is it cool if we use this exact piece of art? Um, the Destiny 2 team Twitter account did say that they are, they have, they've talked with them and that they will be, you know, credited and that they are getting compensation for it. That's good. Which That's good, at least. Is good, but it only happened after like 36 hours of public outrage. Um, this is just this. This was like the last thing that needed to happen this week, right? This, the ass to cross video and the cutscene, hmm. like everything is distracted and taken away from the greatness of this cutscene. I think um, this is a, this is, this is a pivotal moment for the franchise. Like now we have a lot of the answers and it's like, okay, so we know what the witness's ultimate goal is. And it doesn't even seem like necessarily nefarious. Really. It's to bring order. Yeah. It's to bring order. He wants to destroy the traveler because the traveler, invites chaos it's ex- and we've seen that its existence does bring chaos like look, look at the war that was brought here you know the war of the cabal and like zavala notes this after the cutscene yeah. in a piece of lore that we get this week for the story mission he notes that you know the cabal the elixni the hive like we would never have warred with them if it wasn't for the traveler and the traveler fled not basically not to sacrifice us but kind of came to us for protection in a way like it said you know it's said by the speaker in the earliest uh lines in destiny one that you know the traveler with its dying breath birthed the ghosts Mm -hmm. and 
I see that as it basically, and after that, the Traveler fell asleep. The Traveler fell asleep until the Red War. Yeah. That's when it finally awoke after like a thousand something years. But, you know, we, so we have a piece of, and that would, I mean, that would kind of explain why the Witness can commune with us through ghosts. If they had studied the Traveler extensively and, you know, had made use of it, made technology around it. Like, we, we don't know how long it was there. It could have been, you know, 500, 1,000, 5,000 years. Like, we don't actually know. We know that the, they have been chasing this thing for at least 35,000 years. At least. Yeah. Because the events with Rolk happened, like, 35,000 years ago. The events with the Hive happened 30,000. Like, they've been chasing it for that long in this universe. Just like, probably before humanity was even born in this timeline. So... It makes sense that, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, hey, Pyramid Tech probably fucks with it, too. You know, Pyra it, Pyramid Tech was probably made by, the by you know, the Gifts of the Traveler. Yeah. So there, there are a lot of questions to ask. You know, I think now we're going to get into some philosophical questions of, okay, well, then, what's the purpose of the Disciples? Why did you have such evil creatures like Rolk and Nezarak working for you, then, if all you want to do is bring order to chaos? Because it seems to me like they incite chaos. Yeah. So there, there are more questions that still have to be answered, and I expect those to be answered probably in the next two seasons. The purpose of the disciples and whatnot, uh, like why, why would you raise the tormentors? You know, why do you need mm -hmm. armies if you know you're you're seeking to impose? Then they're seeking to, and of course, it's like and Zavala, Zavala and Ikora kind of note this in the in the lore that we're going to talk about later. They note that. Yeah, you always think you're the one who's in the right, that no matter what you're doing is right. Zavala even worries that are we going down the same path as humanity going down the same path that the witnesses race did. I also found this absolutely fascinating uh, thread on Destiny Lore on Reddit that I, I kind of pulled on the string. And... It's a little wacky, so bear bear with me here, but it is a lot of symbols from Curse of Osiris, and they were on the wall in Mercury, and each one is a different lore drop from, from Curse of Osiris, but they, if you read the flavor text at the beginning of each piece, it essentially tells a story, and it kind of tells the story that we just saw in the cutscene in a lot of ways. Um, for instance, Garden Progeny 1, which is the first one. If you're looking at this like a clock, it goes clockwise. There's 12. There's 12 pieces. Garden Progeny 1, its flavor text reads, Two siblings cleaved by time and space, reflections never found alone, the ending of the eldritch race, a path long seen but never known. That's kind of ominous. Yeah. That's a great way to start this. But, e yeah, wonderful. <laughs> but... And it was just, it was this fascinating thing when I started going down this, I started going down this, um, and then like Perfect Paradox is the next one. A tale that's different from the rest, the thread unfurls uh, against the clocks. The one the speaker loved the best must have a perfect paradox, you know, like is Saint 14 going to be kind of key to the end of the game? Like we don't actually know, like he is one of the few to defy the timelines because of us. <laughs> see who's robed as if a god who stands with pride above the rest destroy the ancient nameless fraud destroy the one whose death was blessed it, it gets really really weird it gets really weird 
An army meets and stands and falls. Three nobles wage the hopeless war. In shifting madness, evil crawls. One stands above the battle's roar. I would take that to mean the Hive siblings and uh, the Witness, for instance. Like I didn't really, I, I, I didn't pull up any tabs beyond that. But there are, there's twelve of them, and I think it's a really fascinating theory to think that that actually kind of tells the story, like low key, before years and years and years before it's in game. And this would have been this was right, this was the next add on right after the cutscene of the pyramids fleet awakening, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. I think this also raises the question of who on earth we we've come back to this time and time again, but in light of this cutscene, I genu I genuinely want to know now who on earth is it that Marasov said was going to be a visitor in her court who is not a fan of those who wield the light. We know Mara's hiding something. We yeah. know that. So shocker. Yeah, shocker. Marasov has <laughs> secrets. More more at ten o'clock. So who do we ult- why and why would she so suddenly be on our side so intently? When before she wanted to just stay out of it, she just wanted her brother and she wanted to be on her way and then all of a sudden she's there in the cutscenes for Lightfall and she's helping us in Seraph and she's helping us in Defiance you know, with the queen's favors and things like that. I've long thought that there's something going on with Elsie's time travel also. Yeah. I've kind of been feeling that too. My, my feet, my wonder is, and I know this may be too big brain for us to do in one expansion or in a couple of seasons. Was it possibly the witness who was coming to visit Mara? in her in her you know queen's court way beyond the fringes of the galaxy and was he coming to try and recruit the awoken to his side you know yeah um because after that the queen's court is abandoned she's not there anymore she's gone yeah and i think like whatever it is spooked her so much that she just peaced out she just disappeared so I think that's a little bit of food for thought, but this this cutscene is just it's utterly fascinating. We see so much of the iconography that we've seen throughout the pyramid ships since beyond so well since Shadowkeep, really. We see some of the iconography we've been seeing since then, specifically like the staff with the the different branches on it. We see that was actually a tool that they had and not just an inscription. We see uh, some of the uh, like tapestries that were in Rolk's pyramid. We see things of that nature. I think that's really, really fascinating that they go back to this and like, yeah, well, that's and basically just the story is like, oh, well, that was uh, those are tapestries of their race. Those were icons of their race, like this primitive race that, you know, this is what we thought the Mayans were going to be in 2012, essentially. <laughs> like nobody tell Mel Gibson because he'll try and make Apocalypto 2 out of this. But Jesus. <laughs> I, I don't know like i i think this is like this is both really easy to digest and i think there's a lot of subtext here that makes this a much deeper thing than oh i just watched a two-minute cutscene. like i chelsea's pretty up to up to date with the destiny story for example and she watched it was like what the hell did i just watch and i was like yep that's about the reaction that i expected so i'm you know trying to explain some of it and she's like oh, it's, that's too much for me this may be the bowing out point for some people in terms of the lore. Um, I expect a much easier to digest version of this being spoon fed to us next season or even next week. Yeah. Um, 
breaking it down a little bit more, but I, I like how they immediately had lore that kind of backed this up that, you know, showing the characters reacting to these revelations. That's important. That's important. And I think that above all else, it bring, it continues to bring the story of Drifter into focus. Like Drifter and the nine may actually be key players in this final piece. Yeah. I almost wonder if, so the nine we know exists kind of beyond, not beyond space and time, but they, they kind of observe and let things happen as they're meant to. For example, they interfered with, uh, they interfered with the communications of the reef. The reef could not warn the tower of the red, the coming of the red war. They couldn't warn them about Gaul's fleet. Otherwise the tower would have been prepared and it's likely that Gaul never makes it to earth. Yeah. Um, we know that they interfered with Skolas, that that's the reason why Skolas was freed originally from the prison of elders. You know, Paladin Orin, you know, became a servant of the nine, you know, with the trials of the nine and, you know, drift. They are the ones who gifted drifter the hall and basically told him to prepare the guardians, you know, prepare them through trials. So I still think there's more to be played there. I'm kind of going down a line of thought now. What if not every being participated in the mass suicide that formed the witness and there were a few that survived and they became the nine? Yeah, I kind of was when you started talking about the nine, that's kind of where my head was going to. I mean, that and I think this of... would also be the opportunity to figure out what the fuck is Zer finally. Yeah. Zer... What, if he, what if he what if he's in the final cutscene and he pulls down his head, his hood and he's like that race because they have the glowing eyes. I mean, it would definitely be possible. I think, like, the tentacles, you know, maybe it's possible that he was a botch. He was botched, you know. He, mm-hmm. the, the ritual went wrong, you know, because he says his will is not his own, you know. But he's yeah. been dispatched by the Nine to equip the Guardians, essentially, is what he tells us in Destiny 1. Yeah. <clears throat> to so, uh, take on the Witness? Is that is that where we're getting at there? That's where I'm kind of getting at. Like, the Nine may be sitting back and watching, but, like, kind of watching this paracausal game and... The other big revelation we get out of this is they finally go back to the gardener and the winnower. After mm-hmm. all this time, since Shadowkeep, we've been getting, we got the lore about the gardener and the winnower back then. It now makes sense why they were so determined that everything from Shadowkeep forward needed to be playable, which not everything is because the seasons aren't playable. But <laughs> the major expansions, because there's. They don't overtly say it, but the lore is there. Now I've got my mind going to different places following the final shape cuts or the final shape uh, teaser trailer that we got. Is it like, is it possible that what we're seeing there is a space time portal back to where it all began? Was maybe a garden world, so to speak, contained within the traveler, like metaphorically. Yeah. Is that a portal through space and time? back to where it all began and the witness is like starting a time loop of some kind like who who the fuck knows there's so many weird things that can happen here but the appearance of Cade 6 implies that anybody who has died in the light and their ghost crushed and still has died a final death in the light still exists wherever this destination is is this could this be the opposite of the black garden could this be, you know, or is this an extension of where the Black Garden is? Because we've never solved where the Black Garden is. We've just gone through a portal. Yeah. Is it possible that it's there? Is it possible that this is, like, all part of the same area, the same planet and whatnot? Who knows? Man, that'd be some pretty major uh, wraparound for the story, I guess. 
that's man. I don't know, Josh. That's and I think uh... that there, we still we still have I still am a firm believer we're going to tie back to the moon cutscene where we first meet Elsie in Destiny One. Yeah, and who's she talking to? I still think we're going to find out. It was supposed to be Osiris originally. I think it could still be Osiris. It's either Osiris or it's us. You know, yeah. I could see it very clearly like she's talking to Ghost. Yeah. Yeah, I could. I wonder if it. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I wonder if it's us in a either a different timeline or the you know whatever you know kind of guiding her. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it would make it would make sense to me that it's that that's what it is. That makes sense to me. Yeah. You know that we, you know, we're in the correct timeline, and then we go back. So. Yeah. Man, that'd be that'd be. Do you think we'll do? Do you think we'll see time travel a little bit in the final shape? I think so. I think it's it's pretty obvious it's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is uh. Man, this this whole this is something to watch. This is something to watch. I'm. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really I'm really excited about this. I think this is going to be fun. I think it's going to be really cool to see how this unfolds. I I need to see what happens in the next two seasons because I think whatever yeah. happens, this, this cutscene is officially the halfway point for us. We may not be there in terms of like you know literal time, but we're there in terms of content. We are halfway to the final shape now, and. Yep will not get any more story dropping until after the showcase on the 22nd of August. Mm-hmm. So this could be the last thing that we see exactly two months ahead, by the way. We are exactly two months after the showcase as of right now, about 60 days out roughly, give or take a day or two. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, that's gotta be look really weird, but also it's, I mean, it is weird to me that we're not getting any more story except through a couple of war drops and like, another like radio thing to listen to in the helm. Yeah. We're not going to get any more story between now and then that's two months is, I think two months is too long to go without major story beats. Like if you're going to do that, you need to have an exotic quest somewhere where you need to hold a dungeon for them. Like there needs to be continuous story being fed into a game like this, especially after a revelation like this, like, Oh, so you're going to give us that. And then that's it. That is like, bam, we just what crash test dummied into a wall at full speed. That's yep. what just happened here in terms of the narrative. Here's the here here here's us. Here's Bungie's time gates. We just ran straight in. We ran. We failed the crash test, Corey. <laughs> Literally, what just happened here? We failed the crash test. And we're trying to, we are, we are literally, I am laying on the ground. Like I was just in my only car accident I've ever been in. Not knowing where I'm at because it was so sudden and out of nowhere. Just like, oh, someone, you know, someone's dragging me across the street. Why do my clothes smell like gas? <laughs> you know, all these wonderful things that happen when you go unconscious in a car accident. But that's kind of how it feels here. It's like the proverbial sparrow hitting the fishing pond. Yeah. Like, you just kind of expect me to sit on this for two months now? Like, that reveal better show me some goddamn story. Right. Like, at this point, I don't think there's much you could really show us that in the way of spoilers. Like, if you keep it kind of like Lightfall and show us just from like the first two or three missions, fine. 
Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think that's a big issue. You do have two more seasons, but we'll know the premise of the third season by that point. I still am completely convinced that there's going to be a delay. I think there's a delay to final shape. I do too. I think, um, I, I think they uh, know they have to knock this out of the park and everything has to be in there. It can't be one of those, oh, well, we're going to give you some answers in the follow-up content. No, that should be tying up some loose ends like Zivu Arath. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff you can tie up in like a Dark Below like priced expansion. You should oh, not be boy. wrapping up a major, major... Nothing about the Witnesses' race should be getting resolved in seasons. Yeah. I want to say that. I should be able to walk away from the Final Shape expansion going, I know everything I needed to know about the main saga of Destiny 2. Yep. Man, this is... Uh, it's getting intense, Josh. It's it's ramping up. It's ramping up. It's uh, it's ramping up. I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm really excited. I just uh man, two months, man. That's uh that's a long wait. You think uh so how long do you think the final shape gets delayed? Um I'm gonna say early summer. I'm gonna say that I think it gets I, it all depends on what Q1 and Q2 look like for releases next year. I'm gonna be completely honest. Yeah. Um, but I I personally think it gets delayed. Lightfall felt like it came in really, really hot, whereas Witch Queen felt good because they traditionally released in September and then they were trying to meet a September they they came out and said, We're not even gonna try to meet September. We're not gonna try to do a November release date. We've wanted to move to earlier in the year for a long time now. Um, I think they also know at the same time they can't do six month seasons anymore. Six month seasons at this point will kill this game. Yeah. They are walking a really delicate line. I think the best thing for them to do would be maybe do another season. Um, at the you think they would of... do like a you think they would do like a ten tenth anniversary of Destiny season? No, type they thing? won't. I don't think they'll do that until uh, September. I think they're they're going to one hundred percent save that and milk the shit out of it. Um, and I think you have to. I think that's something you that's that's like the perfect piece of content to do post final shape. That's part of why I think that they're gonna delay it also is they want that to be the first season after. It's just like, hey, look, no story stakes. No story stakes, just fun shit. Fun shit. Just unplug for a while while we work yeah. on what's next, while we cook. Yeah. Um I have to imagine it's probably not getting delayed too much. If I had to guess, I, I know I just said early summer. I'm going to go with mid-April. I'm going to go with Easter. I'm going to go with Easter weekend. Or like right around there. I'm going to go right around there. Maybe not Easter weekend itself. I'm going to go like probably like mid-April to set yeah. the dungeon up to be like last weekend of April. Or the the raid, excuse me, to be last weekend of April. Yeah. That'd be a... I don't think it'll be too much, but that's that's a two-month delay. That might be enough. I don't actually know. Like, if this really is the part two, then I would hope that they already, like, knew where the story was going to go with this, and they just had to build it now. So, I don't know. It could be anywhere from a couple weeks to a couple months. Like, we've seen them do, oh, we got it. We need, we need to delay it by six weeks, you know, or we need to delay it by three weeks in the case of Shadowkeep. And then, well, we got a delay from mid-September to mid-November. And yeah. then, well, we're not even going to meet those this next time. We're just going to do it in February. Like, part of the reason why Witch Queen was so good was it had a year and a half development time. 
And I think if you go back to doing like regular expansion size drops, such as House of Wolves, Dark Below, etc., but you do them with the same quality we've come to expect from Seasons, mm-hmm. then that makes a year and a half wait not so bad. Yeah. Because are you really going to tell me that you're going to pump Destiny 3 out 12 months later? I don't think right. you are. No. But if you do something like this and you do like, say you still charge the $45 or $40, $45 for the season pass going forward, but it's three of those expansions with like a mini season attached to like a nine week season attached to the actual expansion release. Mm-hmm. And you release those in like six month increments. That gives you a year and a half to two years to come up with your next thing. Yeah, I, I and really do think... do quality of life changes like every six weeks or something. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I really think they're going to s- skip a year after the final shape um, mm-hmm. because I think they're going to want Marathon to breathe a little bit, maybe. Um, I think they want one of those to be like we do our major update in the fall and one of them the major update in the spring. And I think Destiny has spring lockdown. I think Marathon will probably have stuff like maybe not its initial launch, but I think like they want the heat for Marathon to be coming off of the PlayStation showcases in the summer. They want to be yeah, able to promote new kinda, shit there. Yeah, but I kind of feel like Marathon might be set up more like a Fortnite-style seasonal model. I mean, it's it's Destiny going one. to be. It's going to be. Yeah. It's 100% going to be. And that that's the other reason why I'm arguing that Destiny needs to change its seasonal rollout. Yeah. Because if you have two of those coming from the same company, what are you going to do? Overlap releases? Like, oh, well, we have some major shit happening in Marathon this week. Oh, but there's a major story beating Destiny. Like... No, they want these games to have time to breathe, but at the same time, I, I don't know. It's it's very weird how it's going to work. I'm not exactly thrilled about this. Change that to the seasonal model. Change do you the think seasonal the, model. Do you think the average player is going to play both? Do you think? Um, I mean, do you think this appeals to the same person? Yes. First off, yes, because it's a bungee game. We had the same question about Des- about Halo going into Destiny. Oh, is this going to appeal to Halo players? Absolutely. Absolutely, it's going to. The question is, there's two questions, though. Can Marathon retain the initial influx of Bungie fans? Because Destiny 1 did not hold it. Destiny 1 was a huge, like, the best new-selling IP in years, and then everyone dropped off within a month. Yeah. Can Marathon hold that, especially as a free-to-play game, and as an extraction looter shooter? And can could Destiny survive taking a whole year off? And my answer to that is no and no. Yeah. I don't think either game can sustain that, and... You know, we've heard uh, Pete Parsons has talked about it, and you know uh, Tom Farnsworth over at Bunchy has talked about it before in Twitter threads. Like, yeah, our our model has shifted from ship. Uh, I think even Chris Barrett talked about it after Marathon was announced. You know, our model has shifted from shipping boxed games to digital only releases now. The digital only yeah. and free to play releases in the PvP marketplace and in you know player engagement spaces and whatnot. My thing is, you should not be out here promoting this and i kind of want to we're we're already going that way i want to use this to like segue into the astacross video from this week where he talks about the nickel and diming of the game because one of the conspiracy theories that's run rampant among destiny fans since the marathon reveal a few weeks ago about a month ago now is that well there there's a skeleton crew only working on destiny and you know everybody's working on marathon no that's not how this works that's not how game studios work first off they want to have multiple projects they want to have multiple projects in the in the pipeline. Now, what I will are well, I, what I will agree with, and what is very obviously what happened is they neglect they did neglect Destiny PvP to go work on Marathon. Like yeah. we straight up had the PvP leads leave to go do that. The sandbox mm-hmm. lead has left. The combat lead has left. Like all of them have gone to go work on 
Marathon, but that doesn't mean that they haven't trained up people in Destiny. It's just the PvP team got depleted and never got restored. And that's yeah. a problem. That's a problem. We've been beating that drum for three years on Tower Casuals. Yep. And at this point, yeah. I think Destiny PvP is probably too far gone to be saved, in all frankness. The meta has changed so much. We've added so many new abilities. We've added so many different types of weapons. And honestly, like I see people be like, oh, well, you know, it was, Destiny 1 PvP was so much better. It was so much more balanced. You didn't have PC to balance there. You didn't have cheaters running as rampant in Destiny 1. It right. is easier than ever to cheat with a PC. Yeah. <clears throat> you can buy inputs you can buy lag switches it is so easy to cheat on anything now it is so easy there are entire companies built up around this shit where how many times they get sued into the ground entire businesses are promoting this stuff and it's just like you're fighting a losing battle and that's why like i see some of the pvp players getting so frustrated and being like like a uh, grenader jake one of one of the most prolific trial streamers, maybe maybe the best trial streamer out there, maybe not like the best player, but the best streamer who plays, mm-hmm. uh, has basically said, "I'm only going to play Destiny on stream when I'm enjoying myself. Like I'm I'm going to shift to other games because I'm so frustrated with the state of PvP. This is the least I've ever enjoyed it. It's just been getting worse and worse and worse over the last couple of years, to the point where one of your most notable PvP players is going to." Not, he's not leaving the game, but he's going to stream it a lot less. Glad did the same thing a couple years ago, mm-hmm. like, I want to say during Beyond Light is when yeah. he decided to go. But Glad was doing the same thing. Glad was doing nothing but streaming Destiny. That's all he did 12 hours a day. Yeah. And, I mean, we all remember the quarters of Time Puzzle. You know, he was one of the guys who was, you know, instrumental in, you know, gathering all the community stuff for that, you know. I see people like Fall, like Fallout, Fallout Place put out a video today that was like, uh, am I bored of Destiny 2 or something was the uh, was the title. And it's like, guys, I understand that this is what you play for your content and things like that. I am imploring you to go play other games. Diablo 4 just came out. A lot of Destiny players have been playing Diablo 4. You can leave the game for like six weeks and then come back and play. Like, you can shift to other models. I yeah. understand that you're afraid to interrupt that revenue stream, but like, for players who are playing this game and are feeling really frustrated, who are like, oh, I, I don't enjoy where the game is right now, or like like me, they, I feel mm-hmm. like it's a lot of aspects of it gotten really stale. And it's a shame that this season changes up and like has a lot of fun with some things. I think that the water dynamic is interesting. I actually like the salvage activity. I like the deep dives. Favorite dungeon. The story is actually, like the writing is actually really good for the story, even if I find the story itself a little bit lackluster. Yeah. But there comes a time when we have to admit it's okay to step away from a game. Yeah. I I mean, I think especially for someone like glad or grenade or Jake, right? Like I think it'd be, it would be different if they were going off to go play like, I don't know, farming simulator and not a similar type of game that their audience would begin be into. Right. Like I think Diablo is the perfect game to do that with. I think, uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of different games that they could go do, but I I think as long as they kind of like realize what their audience maybe is into, and not everybody's gonna go play Diablo, right? But like, right, I really feel like I really feel like they aren't really gonna lose that much by leaving for a couple weeks or six weeks or whatever, you know. So yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, obviously, like my income stream my revenue, my family's, you know, housing budget does not depend upon 
this game being something enjoyable to stream for, you know, eight hours a day, four days a week. Yeah. And, you know, countless YouTube videos, but, you know, it's not, it's not like by for like, oh, okay, I've, I've seen it. I've unlocked the lore. I can kind of unplug for a little bit and just cook on my videos. Right. Mm-hmm. You're actively playing and making content all the time when you're these guys, because you're making weapon videos, you're making breakdowns, you're making, uh, you're doing GM runs, you're doing silly, you know, solo dungeons and whatnot. And like, you're making content in a game that like, doesn't really want you to in a way. Yeah. Um, but I think like, so you have the general resentment from the community, right? And then you have asked across this video, which came out, which is about the nickel and diming in Destiny. And at first I kind of rolled my eyes because I was like, okay, we have this conversation every year. And then I actually sat down to think about how much I've probably spent in Destiny. Like, we joke all the time about it. And I'm not talking, like, actual, like, physical things I've purchased from Bungie, yeah. which yeah. I've probably spent, like, close to $1,000 on that stuff at this point. And when you include at, all the special I mean, editions, least... the pins, <laughs> the shirts, the books, the statues, like, I have probably spent close to $1,000 on Destiny merch Yeah, over the last eight years. But you look at what the complete edition of the game costs every year. So yeah. it used to be, oh, we had the box release. So $60, you know, now it's the expansion is $40 plus you have the season. So now I go, okay, if you buy them together with the season pass, all right, fine. You're getting it for like $79.99. Um, you have that. You have, if you don't buy the deluxe, if you don't buy the digital deluxe version, which the digital deluxe version, I want to say is usually like, what is it like $90 now, 90 or a hundred dollars now? It's a hundred, I think. It's 100 yeah it's because it, it comes with the dungeon key you're ultimately saving mm-hmm. a little bit of money by doing it this way i believe yeah and you're getting you know, oh the deluxe content um yeah the you, deluxe. You know, shitty, shitty sparrow an emblem a ghost and hey whoa well, you get usually get a weapon like three weeks <sighs> early i mean sure <laughs> you get a weapon too and it's all and to be fair like it's been a pretty kick-ass weapon the last couple of years it was no time to explain osteostriga and then um Quicksilver. So three pretty damn meta weapons in their respective years. Yeah. To the point No Time is still incredible. Oh man, No Time to Explain's awesome. I want a replica of No Time to Explain. Uh. And you like, yeah, you get sure you get you know, you get ornaments for them and everything else. It's the only way to ever get them. Fine, whatever. So you have that. That's already a hundred bucks. And like A1 Johnny and I were talking about this, and we says for us, $100 is no big deal. I'm going to get hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds of hours of enjoyment out of this game, despite I may complain about a season or two. I may think they're lackluster. I am still getting $100. I am, that is $100 well spent for me. Yep. And then I start thinking about what it looks like when you don't buy that in a package, when you have to buy individually, because maybe you don't have 100 bucks at once. And there was a time in my life where I wouldn't have been able to drop 100 bucks. I would have had to buy the expansion and buy seasons, season to season. Seasons are, um, I think we just had a price increase on the seasons too. I want to say, yeah, I don't it think... was what it went from what it, they raised the price by two dollars. So what, ten to twelve? I think ten to twelve. I think so. Okay, let's assume you're buying everything a la carte. So forty or fifty bucks for the expansion. Okay, twelve dollars for each season. So four seasons. Then you have to buy the dungeon key, and the dungeon key is what is it is it twenty dollars for both dungeons or is it twenty dollars per dungeon it's for both that's still egregious no matter what yeah so okay i that is that is nickel and diming and then it gets worse then you think about eververse and i'm here to tell you eververse is never going away ever since the comment and dado kind of pointed this out earlier 
uh, earlier in the week when people were asking for his input. And he was like, nope, good video. I have nothing to add. The battle against monetization in this game was lost years ago, by the way. It was lost back in the Taken King. Mm-hmm. Because Luke Smith famously said on a live stream, we're going to have cosmetics so good in the Eververse, you're going to throw money at the screen. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily agree with the comments that I see from a lot of people in the community of saying like, oh my god, all the best all the best cosmetics are locked behind Eververse. That's, I don't agree that's with that at true. all. Have you I, seen I some of the Titan armor they're selling? Hmm. <clears throat> I think it's I think it's patently untrue. I think that there are incredible sets to be earned in game, and a lot of a lot of it is in the end game. A lot of it's in raids and dungeons. We just got the best one of the best armor sets ever in the history of the game in the Ghost of the Deep dungeon. We've got an awesome set. Usually, the season pass ornaments are pretty damn good. Yeah. Like, yes, are the cosmetics in Eververse nice? Absolutely. Do I enjoy getting the armor typically? Yeah, I'm usually getting it with Bright Dust because I have a ton of Bright Dust. And I realize I'm a very privileged player. I'm very different from most people. And then you start looking at the cost of things in Eververse. Even if Eververse is never going away, you look at this and it's like 700 silver for a weapon ornament. That's yeah. seven bucks. Yeah. It's 15, sometimes 20 dollars worth of silver for a, uh, what you call it? For a set of armor. Yeah. That's rough. There's things that are themed to, you know, the dungeon, to the season, to the raids that are in the Eververse and not earnable. I yeah. look at all the cosmetics they put out for Guardian Games, for Solstice, for, you know, uh for the Yawning, for um God, Festival of the Cost. Like I look at things like that and I mean, I've been banging this drum for years like more of that stuff, like at least half of those things every year need to be earnable. Yeah. You can pay to get them if you're too impatient to unlock them. And the event card nonsense, don't even get me started. That is egregious. Oh my gosh, the event card. That was where like I got really upset. That, oh. that and the dungeon keys, like I can forgive a lot of other things. I can forgive the high prices in Eververse. But when you combine dungeon keys, when you combine $20 Eververse armor sets, and when you combine... And it should be noted, the $20 sets are the collaboration sets. And you do the event cards. It's really hard not to see as they see this as a money fountain. That's really frustrating because there are... This is a problem in gotcha games. Genshin is one of those. Fortnite is one of those. Where it is designed for you to spend money. You have to have the newest and latest things. And there are people who play these games called whales. Mm Mm-hmm. Destiny has whales. Yep. There are people who have to get absolutely everything. They are not satisfied unless they have everything because if they have some sort of like OCD compulsion that they have to see it in their completions. And I think that sometimes when I see people complain about this, I think, okay, you are one of those people. You are somebody, and I used to be one of those. I could not stand seeing the empty spots in my uh, collections. Mm-hmm. I don't mind weapon ornaments, like really ornate ones being a part of the Eververse. I hate that there is no way to earn some of these exotic weapon ornaments in game. The legendary ones that are back in there for these reckoning weapons that are reprised should 100% be earnable through deep dive and salvage. Mm -hmm. I complete a tier seven deep dive. I should have like a 25% chance of getting one of those, uh, one of those things to drop straight up. Yeah. Yeah. Straight up. There's no excuse for that not to be happening. Yeah. There are routes you can take here. Like I see, for example, 
whenever we get the dungeon or the dungeon or raid exotic, there is always an ornament in Eververse that season. Why can we not earn that first ornament? Charge me for subsequent ones. Let me do another quest inside of there. That'll get me back inside there also. Let me do another quest in or after I've earned the weapon. Let me do another quest in addition to the um, Catalyst quest. Let me do another quest in order to earn an ornament. That's the only ornament you can get for like the whole first year. And it's like a status symbol. That would be cool. Yeah. You know, let there be a ship and a sparrow for complete, for doing certain things on normal, for doing all the challenges on normal, for example. And then have there still be ones for doing it on master, you know, have there be that elite stuff for master and put stuff in there for people to solo. I thought one of the coolest things about prophecy back in the day was they had the, uh, they had the ghost, ghost ear bunny shell. Oh yeah. And the bunny ears shell. And like Chelsea saw it, really wanted it. And I was like, you're never getting it. You have to solo prophecy without dying. And she was like, Oh, <laughs> but that was cool because that when you saw that, if you saw someone using that, you're like, Oh my God, this person is amazing. Yeah. Now I can go in and just cheese the boss and come out with the master sparrow. Like yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a problem. And I don't know how you fix it, but there is very clearly a problem. We had this and there's a few instances where I think the community has gotten outraged and Bungie has actually listened when it comes to Eververse. The first was when they tried charging for trials cosmetics and notice they didn't ever pull those out of Eververse. You can still go buy those. Yeah. Those are still there. The emote is still there. The emotes are still there. That stuff is still there. That should be in the trials loot pool at this point. Yeah. I agree. That should be in the loot pool. There's no excuse three, four years later for that not to be in the loot pool. No excuse. Also like, we didn't say stop making these. We said stop charging for them. We would really love if there were some Trials cosmetics for some of these weapons that are used all the time in Trials. I could be awesome if there was a No Time to Explain skin. Yeah. You know, that gun just terrorized the Crucible. Or even if you did like a couple legendary weapons here and there, you know. You, we are at the point now, though, where we are charging for a weapon ornament and a shader in a bundle, and there's no way to break it apart and just get one or the other. We are now charging silver for shaders. Mm -hmm. And it's really scummy how it's done because it's always like eleven or twelve hundred. So you can't get it by just buying the ten dollar pack of silver. You have to buy more. Yep. It's always buying more. And it just feels like a really scummy business model. I'm not even gonna point the finger at Sony because this was happening long before Sony bought them. It just got more egregious when Sony bought them. Yeah. That's when we saw the $20 armor sets come in. That's when we saw the increase that... in season pass price. That's when we saw, well, the event card nonsense was probably in the works beforehand, but I think that I get a feeling they were told to fast track that shit. Yeah. That would, uh, the 20, man, the $20 set, man, like I get, uh, I would, I got it for like the, like the Assassin's Creed set. Okay. You're working with another company, whatever. But like, man, you're owned by Sony, man. Like, that's the company uh, that owns I would you. say something else is that um, they were doing the daily offers in Eververse for a while where it would be items that hadn't been there for a while. They'd be up and they'd be like, you know, three, four hundred silver off Yeah, that category. And it's just got pointed. I literally just saw this as I refreshed my Twitter. This got tweeted at 10 minutes ago by uh, JP Deathblade, who uh, does Today in Destiny, has the Eververse calendar, was super helpful until they hid all the information this season. They can no longer post a calendar of what's going to be for sale every week. 
daily offer sales no longer exist. I didn't even notice. I don't. I habitually try not to spend silver in this game, but daily offers don't exist. They're gone. They're gone. I, man, it's it's a problem that I'm really glad got highlighted by across um i think that obviously like a certain crowd is taking it a different way being like you know fuck bungie blah 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 and this and that and, like everybody else is jumping on this with like oh my god is destiny 2 dying like we've, we've hit that point in the we've hit that point in the roadmap of the year uh, it's come a little bit earlier normally we get this in like late july leading up to the showcase or like right after the showcase you know and then you know we're going to watch the final shape showcase and we're all going to be like, fuck yeah, destiny's back. Like this asked across video comes out on Monday and then Sunday or Monday. And then the cutscene drops on Tuesday and instantly all conversation around this dropped instantly, instantaneously overnight. Oh my God. Yeah, that's rough. It rough is a kind word, right? Yeah. I, I just, man, I don't know. I It's really hard to tell people not to buy things in Eververse, right? Because I know there's a lot of cool things. And I know people buy things, right? But, like, it's it's the put your money where your mouth is. If you're upset about the Eververse stuff, like, don't buy anything type thing. And yeah. that'll be, you know, I mean, and that'll, that'll solve one issue. But will that cause other issues? Like, will seasons go up? to $15 instead of 12 if people aren't buying as much in Eververse, right? Like, I mean, I don't know, man. It's tough. This is a, this is a tough situation that they, that we're in. And it's not great. Yeah. It's and like, I like the, the hundred dollar version or the hundred, it's still a hundred dollars, right? The ultimate version for the, the year. Yeah. Like, for a year's worth of content, right? That's not that's not terrible. But I know we already went over like everything, what everything costs. It's like, man, that's like, I feel bad for the people who can't, who love this game and can't afford to do that at the start, right? Because they're of specific financial situations. It sucks, man. It really well, sucks. And then the last thing I kind of want to bring up on the nickel and diming is. The costs don't go away when a new expansion comes out. It used to be new expansion released. The previous expansions were included. ESO does this, for example, right? I think they include everything up to a certain point. Maybe the last expansion isn't included, but they knock it down to like 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. And it has, or you can buy the ultimate edition for $70, get every single piece of content they've ever released. Destiny used to do this. They stopped doing this around the time Shadowkeep came out, I would say, because they didn't include Forsaken. Are you sure it didn't happen with Beyond Light? I thought Beyond Light was the first time it didn't happen. No, it didn't happen with Shadowkeep. I I know for a fact it didn't because they went back and realized, oh, we're sunsetting Forsaken. We have to sell the Forsaken pack now. Right. Forsaken was was being kept separate. What they did when Forsaken came out was Forsaken included the base game and both uh, mini DLCs. So... Uh, I didn't even realize this because I've never thought of it as a new player. Nadiki was pointing this out to me. He goes, when I first started playing in Forsaken, I had the base game. I had a too many expansions. I had Forsaken. I had all this great package for like 50 bucks. 
Mm -hmm. And then I had the season pass content on top of that. It's like, and like the cost has started adding up over the years, you know, someone who started playing as a teenager and whatnot. I think of the cost to get somebody new into this game and to get to, to experience the very best content, even on sales, you are still looking at probably spending like 300 bucks to play everything. Yeah. When you include dungeon keys, when you include season, and that's just the seasons that are currently available. Like it's a hundred dollars for everything for this year. You have to buy the dungeon yeah. key for last year. You have to buy the witch queen. You have to buy the 30th anniversary. Well, pack. they sell that. They sell that big bundle with everything in it. That doesn't include seasons, but it includes the. I, I the, mean, it, but 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 still, the point the point remains. You're spending like 200 bucks to get to experience everything in Destiny. Yeah. At least bare minimum. And in yeah. a world where a regular game costs $70, that's almost three full-priced games that I could be buying. Mm-hmm. Why on earth would I want to spend that money in Destiny if I'm not already invested, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man, that's that's rough. And that goes that goes all the way back to your point of, like, it's so hard to get people into the game. Right. The, the uh, cost, very fa- even to- if people... Yeah. Even if people are interested in like what's going on or the story or whatever, even if they took a year off or two years, like the cost is going to keep people away, let alone the like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, man, it's so I don't know, man, unless you're already invested, I feel bad for people trying to jump in now <laughs> and it's just going to get worse until they put out a new Destiny 3 like that has to be that has to be. If nothing else, if you want to get new people in, Destiny 3 has to exist. Uh, it has to, and I mean, it's going to have to include access to the things we've paid. Like, I look at how much I've paid over the lifetime of Destiny 2, and it's like, okay, like I start adding it up, and it's like, okay, well, you know, expansions used to be like 50 bucks, and then they went down in price a little. And that's when they started doing the season pass bullshit, and like... I've probably spent like $600 in terms of Destiny Destiny 2 content before I talk about silver purchases. I've probably spent like another 150 in Eververse yeah. pretty easily. Yeah. Um, I think it's something that Bungie really needs to start keeping in mind. Like you are, you are now owned by Sony. You do not have to nickel and dime anymore. But mm-hmm. also like I need Sony to also understand this, that if it is a mandate that has come down from your studio heads that they need to stop this is how you kill live service games is by nickel and diming your players Mm -hmm. and i mean i've been pretty i've been pretty lenient on the eververse front outside of the event cards and dungeon keys i feel over the last couple of years let me let me ask you this josh let me ask you this real quick uh before you finish your thought Mm -hmm. so instead of charging for seasons would you prefer i mean we talked about this maybe a year and a half ago at this point but would you prefer a subscription model at this point no 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 um i think a subscription at this point in destiny 2 with the general attitude towards the game with i'm not i'm not talking destiny 2 i'm talking whatever's next no no i'll never i would never buy a subscription from a bungee game at this point they would have to prove to me why I need an expand, why why I need a subscription model. That would have to be proven to me. What on earth can I possibly get from a subscription that came from here? And it can't just be like, oh, well, we give you, you know, a thousand silver every month. I don't fucking care about that. I want to know what am I getting here that I'm not getting from the base game? Like Fortnite, when I pay for Fortnite crew, I get my thousand V-Bucks because I'm probably going to buy cosmetics anyways in a cosmetic driven game. I get a special skin every month. 
and they've started throwing in other bonuses periodically. Like, I am okay with that, because that is a purely cosmetic game on a free-to-play game. Mm-hmm. I did not have to pay for anything. It is all optional. I could never spend a dime in Fortnite and have a great time. Mm-hmm. But I want to have the fun skins. I want to play the wacky shit. I want to buy the occasional bonus pass. I do that with their money, essentially. Yeah. You know, I get my battle pass as a part of this subscription. Um, now we've, we've spitballed what a subscription service would look like. And, you know, may, maybe like post final shape, like we can get back into that. Um, but they would, I would have to have, like, I would need to see, and I would need to see proof before I decide to sign up for any of this. I would need to see them commit to fixing things like PVP first. Yeah. Um, cause I, I, I will tell you, I will never, I will never give a dime towards a subscription service that will put more money in Bungie's pocket that I'm already giving them just to see them not take care of like 45% of the 40, 45% of their game. Because at this point, like crucible is in a really bad spot. Gambit has not seen a new map since forsaken. That's actually insane. We've not had a new Gambit map in going on five years. Mm-hmm. Five years. That's so that's so insane, man. That's so that's pathetic. It's pathetic. I was complaining about this on one of the early episodes of Tower Casuals. It was yeah. pathetic then. It's embarrassing now. I mean, the longer it goes, it's it gets even more. It gets even worse. Yeah. Do you think that we're just like going to forget about it? You build us as a core mode and then you don't do anything about it. Yeah, I mean, if you're not going to do anything with it, just take it out of the game. I mean, there's not a lot of vocal people out there that like it anyway. You know? Yeah, not not a fan. Not a fan. I mean, I think whatever... I mean, I know it's like the lore reasons Drifter's training us, but like after the witness is gone, whatever happens... It's got to be gone. It's got to be taken out. Yeah, you got to eliminate it, man. You You just have to. You have to. So. I don't know. I, I thought the idea of Gambit was cool, like at, at the very beginning, and then it just like was not. <laughs> it was not. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm. Anyways, I, I think we're just going to keep talking ourselves in circles over this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Corey, let's go to some questions. Yeah. Questions. We have questions, and then we're going to go to the lore corner, because we have lore to read tonight. Lore um, corner. So, questions. Uh, I have a question in my DMs, actually. Um, we had a listener who had problems finding the uh, finding the uh, thread for questions earlier. I'm going to I'm gonna start trying to pin it in there. Uh, I know Nerd's been doing a really good job of it. Um, I just well, want to make sure that's I, a little bit more visible. Yeah, and they moved the the podcast feed, actually, out of the podcast question. <clears throat> right, there was just there was so much discussion happening around the Astacross video in the right. podcast channel this week that it buried the questions thread. Yeah. Um, so Suze writes in. Suze. And goes, uh, can you guys talk about what you think Asha and Sloane's roles are going to be in the coming seasons? Um, I think it's... So, I, you asked this a week too early. <laughs> <laughs> because like we need to see what happens next week, but um, honestly, judging by the destiny way of things, not much. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe Titan is given to the hive slash the krill at the end of all this. You know, if they're not corrupted by darkness anymore, maybe it's given to like you know the Lucian hive or something. I don't know. Yeah. 
Maybe um, Savathun lives and she rules there. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I mean, we, we've long thought that, you know, the Cabal are going to get Mars and that the uh, Elixir will probably split Venus and Earth with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that Sloane is probably dead. Her Taken infection has been getting worse and worse throughout the season. That's pretty um, bad. It's pretty bad. She says like that basically the screaming of Zivu Arath in her mind is just unbearable at this point. I do not expect Sloan to make it possibly out of this season. Certainly not to the final shape. Yeah, I don't think she's going to make it to the final shape. Then again, I, we all thought she was dead like three years ago. So, yeah, who knows? I, I wonder. I mean, I wonder if she like not to get super morbid, but I wonder if mm. she like kills herself to like, you know, or like before she gets taken totally corrupted because she doesn't want them to you know i don't know that seems that seems very uh dark though yeah even, not even destiny not a not a not a huge fan of it uh Sue's also asked a second question uh can you also talk about how drifter seems to be becoming such a big part of the story and how he's uh propelling our discovery of forward steps so i take this to assume like how he's kind of propelling the story forward and kind of laying out the the path for us um we did talk about this a little bit last week um drifter is we might have to do a drifter deep dive later this season uh in the slow months or the slow weeks uh ahead uh but yeah i think i think drifter is setting himself up to be a pretty key component uh of the story going into the final shape which is great because it's delivering on the promise we got with the Beyond Light teasers, where it seemed like, oh my god, Drifter's going to be such a huge part of this. And he did fuck all. He stood, he he sat in camp, is what he did. He sat in camp and had to be bailed out of a fight by Eris and Elsie. Mm -hmm. And we were so stoked, like, oh my god, oh my god, it's it's the derelict. Oh, he's descending in a ship, and oh, he's on a sparrow. Oh my god, it's Drifter, it's Drifter! And that was the most that we ever got was that really hype teaser video. Yeah. Oh, that video was cool though, man. That video was fucking cool. Was a... That's like the coolest one of the coolest cut one of the coolest like expansion reveals they've ever done. Ever. That's so good. And just what a fucking dud. What a fucking dud. I'm really <laughs> glad that we got Elsie's story, but God, what a letdown. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think Drifter is gonna be a big part going forward. Um, yeah, I, I really hope they're delivering on that. The dialogue that we've gotten from both the radio transmissions and from the stories, as well as the lore piece that we got between him and Eris that we read last week, genuinely seem that he is going to take a very big step going forward. Um, and I, I do think if there's a character to make a heroic sacrifice, it's Drifter coming full circle um, in the final shape. But then again, we also kind of thought he's just going to travel with us you know yeah um i think it would be kind of kind of cool and fitting like you know maybe he stays to help protect the city though now that i yeah. think about it um all i'm saying is when we're fighting one of the pivotal battles in the final shape and the fucking derelict appears over me with the hall i'm gonna scream because an army of taken is gonna be on the guardian side and i'm so excited to shoot all my <laughs> teammates <laughs> <laughs> so uh there's that and then uh we had a couple of questions from the community i gotta god i gotta scroll back for this every time you close out of a th- 
like a channel, it just scrolls you to automatically to the latest message, and it's really annoying. Yeah. Um, Tiger Jesus, as always, writes in, what is y'all's favorite helm seasonal room? I'm assuming this means overall. What's our favorite room we've ever gotten in the helm over the last couple of years? Oh, man, I really... Uh... Man, I, I really like the I really like the Rasputin setup. Yeah, room. I really I really liked when uh, Mara was set up down there too, though. I guess you would call it what the constellation room. I guess you could call it when Mara was set up down there. Um, I also I also really liked the uh, having having the crown of sorrow just chilling in the room in that one room. <laughs> Yeah, um, that was uh, interesting. <laughs> I think that was probably like the coolest design. If I had to pick my overall like favorite design, though, I would probably have to go um, with the fish tank. I think it's just really cool to like for the season passes that you've done. There's artifacts from each of them in there, mm-hmm. and then you can add to it with flora and fauna that you find in the deep dives. And you know, for doing certain things, they're there. All your fish are there. I think that's all just really cool. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a unique way to have that room evolve over the course of the year, too. Yeah. The other one that I really like, it's going to be in the same room. I love when uh, we brought fucking Insurrection Prime into the oh, helm right. and yeah. plugged him into the helm during Splicer. I thought that was pretty great. Yeah, uh, that was that very was funny to me. <laughs> hey, this thing tried to nuke the city. Let's put him in. Let's put him in the fucking helm. Right. Which at the time was still parked in the city. Right. Like we forget the helm didn't actually take off until we put the crown of sorrow in it. Right. Which is still I can't still just put the uh, crown of sorrow that's almost as funny as we conducted a ritual with the crown of sorrow in the helm. That is up there with bad ideas with Ikora building a vex portal straight into the tower. Yep. I oh, get boy. that we don't use Hawthorne's part of the tower, but damn. Um, all right. <laughs> Jiggly Panda writes in. He goes, um, if you guys were approached to do a charity stream, uh, where the with the with the Tower Casuals community, what would you guys do? I mean, we would play Destiny. Come on. Yeah, we play Destiny. Destiny. I'd probably do lore readings and character. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it would it would be fun. That'd be fun. I would definitely do lore readings and character and see if I could find like a Shax helmet. Um, and Jigglypanda also asks, since there's been a lot of talk about Destiny being dry and boring game, what has kept you guys going for nine years? Friends. <laughs> uh, Honestly. yeah, I think the answer is probably threefold. I think it's friends. Yeah. I think it's the gameplay and it's the story. It's the lore. Yeah. Even when the story this... was bad, the lore was still amazing. Yeah. I mean, even, I mean, even in Destiny one, like the lore right the grimoire mm-hmm. cards you could spend hours reading the grimoire cards and everybody's like why are we playing this right remember all that and it was just stuck in the lore car- in the grimoire cards oh mm-hmm. yeah but i mean i i i feel like you know the the game is still fun to play even if you're not paying attention to all that right like you the right. the guns all feel amazing the shooting feels amazing the movement feels good you know Go, I mean, even going into like a patrol zone and just shooting enemies to do some bounties is still fun, right? So, I mean, 
Yeah, it, it's very much the next evolution of the Halo gameplay that they perfected, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and that's always been the most enjoyable part about the gunplay and about the movement, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely feels like, like you said, the evolution of Halo at this point. The evolution of Halo. Combat Evolved, they might say. I hate you so much. <laughs> I cannot stand you. Um, oh, that was good. That was good. Come on. Uh, it, uh, come on. You know who would appreciate that joke? Ronnie. Uh, speaking of Ronnie, our next two <laughs> questions are from Ronnie. In Destiny's life cycle, there have been some serious lows and some serious mountaintop highs the community debates over. What are your personal rock bottom lows and mountaintop highs in game? Can be anything from an expansion to a lighthouse trip that just vibing with the boys and vice versa. Oh God, Infinite Corey, Force, give, Corey, give me. So we're we're gonna do we're gonna do uh, what was the uh, what was the highest you felt after an expansion? Was the lowest you felt, and with expansions, I'm also gonna expand that to include not seasons, but the mini expansions we got: Curse of Osiris, House of Wolves, yeah. etc. What is the highest you ever felt, and what is the lowest you ever felt after a major yeah. release? The highest I ever felt exploring the infinite forest. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, God, get the fuck out. <laughs> Honestly, when we uh, went through, um, when we went through the Taken King, the raid, and we like, yeah, I mean. And this is kind of like an over over the course of like that year, right? Where we were literally running the Taken King three times a night with three different characters, and uh, you know, even doing it on the the harder difficulty to get the armor and the and everything right. And uh, when you had a team that just everybody knew what their job was every time, and you just knew that knew it in the ins and outs. Uh, so I mean that would pro that was like the highest point in terms of like Destiny One, Destiny Two. I think the highest would be like, uh, I think when when Season of Arrivals came around and like we were mm. we were starting to talk about this and talking Destiny again and being like super serious about it because like Forsaken was Forsaken was good, you know and. Yeah. Obviously, Shadowkeep was like the low, low point of expansion, right? I think in terms of activities and actually playing the game, the lore was, yeah, the lore was good. But I mean, uh, but I mean, the the I think the most disappointed I was overall in Destiny Two was uh, when the the Osiris DLC came out because we were finally about to Osiris was about to be revealed. And like they showed the cutscene of him walking through the vault of glass and getting sucked through the portal, right? Or throwing Sagira through the portal. But like we saw him really for the first time in game with the with the headdress and the mask, and you saw a fire team running through the vault, and it was so cool. And then you just he it, that that it, that whole expansion was so kind of disappointing. The promise of the infinite forest and it kind of mm-hmm. changing over time and uh, just was not. Man, I man, when I played that, I was like, man, this is. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand why I'm trying to do anything in this in this expansion after I beat the campaign. Yeah, I Mercury uh, was disappointing. <laughs> I think for me the. Uh the highest high that I had was uh, it's definitely been like the best I've felt after an expansion release was probably the witch queen. 
Um, mm -hmm. That was the moment, like, I think we'd been building towards it. There had been a lot of really good changes, content leading up to that. We'd had three banger seasons in a row in terms of, you know, activities, story, everything. We'd had 30th anniversary pack drop. We probably had the best sandbox we've ever had in the game. Mm -hmm. And then Witch Queen drops, and it just was an absolute banger on all fronts. Yeah. Um, so very excited about that. Um, I would say the lowest I felt was Curse of Osiris. I mean, vanilla D2 was really bad. It was really bad for me. Um, I Looking back on it, the story was actually pretty good. It just had too much filler in it. But mm -hmm. Curse of Osiris, was, I quit Destiny 2 after two weeks. I came mm -hmm. back for Curse of Osiris for launch day, and it was so bad. I played one day of Curse of Osiris. You can go back and you can actually look at my playtime. I had one day. Mm -hmm. And it was launch day of Curse, and then I did not come back until weeks into Warline. I actually had to be coerced back by a combination of my friend, who was playing a lot at the time, and the reveal of Cade's death. Um, mm -hmm. That's what got me back to Destiny. The, yeah. I would say in terms of like my favorite memory, though, um, there's a couple. I mean, I, I think fondly back to my first Vault of Glass clear a couple weeks after it came out. Uh, just how I had never seen anything like that in, in a game or in a shooter before. I mean, I'd never played an MMO, so a raid was something completely new for me, whereas a lot of my friends had played World of Warcraft. I had never played anything like that, so this was totally new for me. And then I think of my first lighthouse trip. Um, I was I was literally I was screaming and yelling and pumping my fist, you know, getting to the lighthouse for the first time um, was an awesome moment. I think those are probably my two biggest highs, like, in-game. It's just, like, those are two really cool things. Like, I remember when they first talked about raids, I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna do a raid. I'm just, that's not for me. I'm just here to enjoy the story, and how wrong was I? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, that was really cool. Um, I would also add the Taken King raid. Um, when you do King's Fall for the first time, you see the size of Oryx, how big he really is. Yeah. That is a moment that is it may not be like the most iconic moment in destiny but i think it's like the most iconic like boss reveal in destiny yeah that um, i mean when you walk into that when you walk into the room when you see the the sisters for the first time right and you beat them mm -hmm. and then you walk down the path with like the pillars on each side of the, of the pathway and you just see him climb up the side of the ship dude how big he is and like man also like the fact that that entire expansion and raid was running on an xbox 360 and a playstation 3 <laughs> oh my yeah. god it's 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 pretty crazy um i yeah that's I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna leave my thoughts there i'm gonna leave my thoughts there um yeah we could talk about i would also say that i mean if i had to pick another destiny 2 memory figuring out whisper of the worm was and that activity mm -hmm. was so fucking hard yeah Pre-Shadow Keep, that was such a hard activity, but it was so good. Yeah. To be not pre-Shadow Keep, pre-Forsaken. Yeah. Um, but that was one of that's one of the coolest secrets they've ever put in the game was was that. I would love to see more shit like that, but you'd have too many crybabies. Um <laughs> Ronnie also asks, uh, on the PC side, Windows or Mac? Uh I use Mac, so I have only owned a Mac for the last 13 years. So yeah. yeah. If I so it depends been, on what you want to do. Yeah. I mean, I've been contemplating getting a, a rogue ally. Uh mm -hmm. and 
Uh, that would be the first Windows machine I've owned in about six or seven years. But here's the thing. I actually had two Windows-based PCs built for me uh, in the last decade, and they both died within a year. And both Yikes. of these people who built it for me. And Josh, I think you know these some of these people, but I'm not going to name them on air. I do know at least one of them. And uh, yeah, and it just it died. And, the you know, they quote unquote build PCs for people all the time. So it and, and that like really turned me off of and I know it's not like a I know that's a PC building problem and not a Windows problem, but every Mac I've ever owned, I've never had an issue. Right. So that's kind of why I lean that way. Plus, like I can boot my Mac into boot camp when windows through boot camp so i still kind of get the windows experience if i need it anyway mm -hmm. it doesn't really i mean it runs but it, it's kind of it's not perfect but it's 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 doable Oops. oh my god okay sorry sorry i was definitely listening to everything you were saying but i'm really glad that you were talking because uh, I thought I was done with having to pay attention to the NBA draft, and the Mavs decided they were going to make a trade. Right? As oh I no! Window out. Yes. Okay. So this is I've I've really been, I've really been going through it. Okay. We described it at the beginning of the show. I've been going through it. They t they traded down the twelve. I got Davis Ber Davis Bertans. You Latvian fuck. You are finally off my team. I don't have to pay you sixteen million dollars to warm a seat on the bench next to Mark Cuban. Okay, I'm really glad you're gone. Mark Cuban would have been a better suit up for us out there this last season. That's how bad it is. Sent his ass to Oklahoma City, traded down two spots. We took Derek Lively. Not jazzed about it. Don't like it. The man averaged five points a game in college. He is Rudy Gobert 2.0, and it terrifies me. This man better be prepared to catch every fucking lob that Luca throws his way. I digress. They just made a deal with the Sacramento Kings to acquire Rashawn Holmes, who it was largely seen was kind of like, you know, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Redundant. After uh, they got Dominus Sabanis a couple years ago, they have gotten that, and they've gotten number pick number 24, which is uh, Oliver Maxence Prosper, one of the best guard wings in the uh, late first round that I was seeing in projection. So I'm, I'm fucking ecstatic over here right now, okay? This is this is just great, Corey. I'm glad that's been that has been your NBA moment for tonight, everybody. Okay, I am losing my mind right now. Um, I, I can't get excited because the Cavs don't have any picks worth. You know what? I'm going to get really excited for if we trade for Jared Allen, Corey. That's what I'm going to get excited for. For for you or for me? For me, that's not exciting for me. For me, like that's extremely Allen. exciting for me. You will take Tim Hardaway Jr. and you will like it. I mean, we do need a three. You do. And we can move. We can move Mobley to five and find some sort of power forward. You can. It'll be fine. We'll be fine. It'll be good. You can. You can. I'm very excited. They already used the trade exception. Oh my god! The Mavs never use the trade exceptions. They always let them expire, and they use. Oh my god! I'm so excited. This is so Corey. This is a great moment for me. This is a great night. It's a great this night. Is this is the best Josh has talked about the Mavericks in like three years. Feels this, like. is the, this is the best I've talked about him in like four or five months. Now sign and trade Christian Woods bum ass and I'll be really happy. Uh, Joasis asks, this one's for Josh, who will have a working operational PC first, you or A1 Johnny? 
A1 Johnny, considering he has bought the components, and I have it on good authority that a very reliable person is installing them for him. A1 Johnny will have a working operational computer before me. Must be uh, nice. It must be nice. And then uh, Sammy Gobo writes in with our final question of the night. And they ask, now that we're on Titan, searching for what the witness left behind, do you think we'll be going back to other older destinations to find more? And what would you want to find there? Uh, I am 99% certain that we're going to IO next. Yeah, I, I, IO would be the place that I would pick. I think IO is next. I, I don't know what you do for the final season because I... I Io could be where we go last, and it would make sense because that's the last <clears> where the traveler was. That's where the tree of the silver wings was. What about Venus? We talk about I don't hearing think we're going to Venus. You don't. I mean, no. we talk about LC that scene in Destiny my, One vanilla. So here, here's my problem with Venus. Venus doesn't exist in Destiny Two. They would have to rebuild it completely. Well, they've. I mean, they've already got some of it with the <laughs> Vault of Glass. <laughs> they have one area that they're probably not going to be able to use. Um. No, I, I think that if we go anywhere, it's I do think that uh, Io and Mercury are on it because Mercury, if we remember back to the, the lore of the lighthouses uh, and Brother Vance, Brother Vance was confronted by Mara, Eris, and Osiris and told, stop fucking around with those things because they are compasses, we later found out, for the pyramid ships. Mm -hmm. So I think there are still more mysteries on Mercury to be uncovered and in the Infinite Forest. I think we're going back to both Mercury and Io. It makes a little yeah. no sense not to go back to those destinations. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know what order we're going to do them in, but I think that those are also golden opportunities to bring. Io is the only one that was like more than just like a glorified patrol zone, really. Mm -hmm. um, it had multiple strikes. It has a lot of important. Genuinely, Io has a lot of importance in the lore of Destiny 2, especially in like like traveler lore right so and arrivals lore so i feel like that's going to be pretty key us going back there yeah um, i'm very excited for that i hope it happens i would like to see those strikes back yeah. that's what i would like to see i would like to see those strikes back i will take us not getting a great season and this is why i think it's probably the last thing they've said the last season is going to be them touching up a lot of the core playlists going into uh the final shape. This is a perfect mm -hmm. opportunity to bring back the strikes you sunset. Yeah. Bring those back. Announce that Titan is going to be a permanent destination again. It, it can't be that much more to add at this point. Announce Mercury will be one. And bada bing, bada boom, all the strikes are back. All yep. the strikes are back. Great. Because the strikes are moments frozen in time, is what we've been yep. told. Great opportunity to add another strike or two. I know that that's what you guys are doing with the um, Battlegrounds. Give me some legit strikes. Mm -hmm. Those are fun stories. Those are good stories to tell. Yeah. So big fan. Big, big fan. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Very excited. Um, so we're at the end of the show because uh, Bungie did not declassify the lore that I wanted to talk about. Oh. It's still classified in the API. I actually can't. I physically cannot get. I'm gonna. I'm gonna check through the app, but I do not think I could physically get to it through Ishtar Collective, oh. and that's really bothersome because I really wanted to read this lore tonight. Well, while you look that up, Josh, did you know that? Like, so we we've been Josh and I have been talking about this Xbox FTC hearing, and oh God, you know, all of the Microsoft executives are there, right? And uh, <laughs> Jim Ryan, uh, 
it is supposed to video conference in tomorrow. Did you know it's a pre-recorded video? I did, and I find that personally hilarious. For a trial? Are you kidding? Is oh, that, even, this, that this is fucking hilarious? Oh my gosh, dude! What a joke! I'm I love I'm it. sorry. I'm not I absolutely love it. This is incredible. Look, man i I know over the last couple months or so. I've been called an X-Bot and I hate Sony, which is not true. But man, Jim Ryan is just like, come on, man. Come on. You can't even be bothered to like have a like a live feed in there. Like, OK, I get it. You live in Europe. Maybe can't fly over here, which you could. But I'll, I'll let that slide. But you're going to do a pre-recorded video instead of just talk to people. Yeah, and I mean, like, listen, if he wasn't already going to do that after uh, after the email that came out today where he basically admit he admitted, like, when the news broke about the Activision purchase, he's like, oh, well, they're not doing this for they're not doing this to get exclusive. So we're OK with it. Mm-hmm. Like that email coming out today was pretty damning, I think, in his and the FTC's case. Yeah. Um. Kind of felt like it's something that shouldn't have been revealed. Also, the fact that Sarah Bond testified that Bobby Kotick essentially held Xbox hostage. Yeah. And was like, uh, yeah, unless you give us more money, we're not going to put Call of Duty on Xbox. Yeah. So the revenue split, uh, she said that they go to 80-20 for certain games. It's mm. speculated that the split for Call of Duty is even higher than that, that it could possibly be as much as uh, like 85-15. Yeah. Uh, which is just wild to me. That that's unheard of. The the traditional split is 70-30. Yeah. 70 goes to the publisher, 30 goes to the platform holder. That is wild. For a game like Call of Duty, that is hundreds of millions of dollars we're talking about per installment. Yeah. Um I just God, I can't get over this. Like one way to get this through is pro would probably be like all right, listen, Jim, we really need this to go through. All right, we're not changing anything. We're not taking anything away from you. If it's a, if it's a multiplayer But they've already kind of said that. They've already said that, but, you know, clearly everybody's still bringing up fucking Starfield and Redfall. I like how they're focusing so much on Redfall, and it's like, if you guys want it, we'll give it to you. <laughs> yeah. Phil Spencer will be more than happy to port it over there. But I think that there were a couple things interesting that came out. Pete Hines today said that it actually helps them only developing for one platform. They can actually make development go a lot faster. He says, yeah. because the exact the exact uh, instance he was using it for was with Indiana Jones. He was like, when you're working with a licensed IP, you are on a clock. The clock starts ticking the day you get that license. Mm-hmm. Which leads especially me to... With Di- <laughs> yeah, especially with Disney. I think we're getting that sooner than later. But he also brought up Starfield. He goes, Starfield launches in nine weeks. I promise you we would not be launching in nine weeks if we were still making this for both platforms. I promise yeah. you. Yeah, because you got to optimize for both. You got to make sure the bugs are ironed out on both. That one mm-hmm. something that's buggy in one isn't going to be buggy in the other. Sometimes, like there's a lot of specific changes you got to make. And yeah. yeah, and you can point you can point to specific Bethesda games, especially during the PS3 360 era. I, I mean, literally every time a Bethesda games come out, it's been better optimized on Xbox than on PlayStation every single mm-hmm. time. Yeah, every time, and that's because they had more experience with Xbox because the Xbox architecture really hasn't changed over the years. They've mm-hmm. used a lot of the same ones. Yeah. Like Xbox to 360 was basically the same architecture. That's why there mm-hmm. was so much backwards compatibility there. But yeah. like Morrowind was developed for the OG Xbox and then Oblivion was developed. Oblivion was a year long exclusive because the PS3 wasn't out yet. 
they had more their teams were up on they had to be up on the 360 quicker than on the ps3 Mm -hmm. and like so as a result fallout 3 runs better and then when Mm -hmm. you get the xbox one like uh our friend uh ray apollo and i i remember it was one of the earliest games he and i were playing through together fallout 4 he had a hell of a time to the point where he finally got a refund on the playstation version because yeah. it was so buggy and broken even like weeks and months after launch that he went and got it on Xbox and it was night and day. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I have never heard of y'all having all these issues that you're saying you're having. I've never encountered these. So. Yeah. Anyways, I just, I thought that was weird that he's not even going to take, I feel like he's just not even taking this seriously anymore. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I, I thought those were some fascinating nuggets that came out of this uh, this first day. We're, we're in day one. This is supposed to last up to five days. A lot of experts think this will be over by day four. This yeah. is a hearing to see if this is going to go to actual trial. The judge was asking a lot of questions. He basically was like, why wouldn't you want your games on Game Pass? This sounds fucking great. Yeah. Also, don't you need that Windows key to stream games? <laughs> Oh my Did you hear God. about that? <laughs> Dude, I heard so many different things there. Like, they're so determined to say that, like, the Switch isn't a real platform, that PCs are, like, inaccessible for people. Yeah. That this is actually amazing to me. It's like, I've never seen a company fight so hard, or I've never seen a regulatory board fight so hard to keep the market leader in power. Right. And to keep somebody in third place, I think that's actually really funny. Like, I believe there was a study done last year that even if Microsoft buys activision blizzard their their market cap is still going to be behind nintendo who is in second place yeah that's just crazy to me that's crazy to me to think about but like they reiterated again today in court also that like they have not decided on if outer worlds 2 is going to be xbox exclusive since the first one was on playstation Mm -hmm. i mean come on we all know it's going to be an exclusive okay yeah like let's let's play nice for the courts um because like let me be really clear hellblade 2 hellblade 2 ain't coming to playstation Mm-mm. they're not giving that one up. They might give Outer Worlds 2 up, mm-hmm. but they're not going to give up Hellblade. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think they're going to give Outer Worlds. I think I think anything you I see wouldn't. from here on out is going to be... I, I think if it's you know, an individual I mean, studio... The only that, thing you're going to see come out of Xbox on PlayStation will be Minecraft stuff, and uh, I was going to say in, like, uh, um, Elder Scrolls Online and Fallout 76... You know, I mean, Deathloop 2, no, right? I mean, so I'm actually, so I'm going to push back on this a little bit. I know this isn't Destiny Talk. We're going to wrap up here in a second. Um, I'm going to push back on that. I think that when you come to publishers, it's a little bit different. I I genuinely do think that Bethesda, it's going to be a case-by-case basis. I think if it had an existing game in the franchise, with the exception of Elder Scrolls and Fallout, because there are already multiplayer installments of those franchises, that's the loophole they're going to use here. Uh-huh. Um, that, like, Doom 3, if it's made, is going to go to all platforms. Wolfenstein 3 going to go to all platforms. Indiana Jones is going to be exclusive. That's a new IP. That's a new IP uh-huh. for them. Uh-huh. Deathloop 2, why not put it on all platforms? Ghostwire, if there's a, a sequel to Ghostwire, which I don't think there will be, why not? Evil Within 3, there's the one we can talk about. Evil Within 3. Put it on all the platforms. Why not make a few extra bucks? Mm-hmm. You know, I see yeah. no reason why that can't happen. Activision, like, can you imagine the uproar if they decided to make Crash Bandicoot exclusive to Xbox? Can you just imagine that, Corey? <laughs> like, I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't even want that. Like, yeah. I am more of an Xbox fan than anything, and I would not want to see that. 
I think I that kinda, I almost feel like Activision Blizzard stuff would be treated even different, more different than Bethesda at this point, right? Like, uh, I, I think so. I think basically anything Activision Blizzard to me, w- again, with the exception of like if a new IP were to be developed, would stay. Yeah. Those would explicitly be multi-platform. Or if you took someone like Toys for Bob to do like Banjo Kazooie or something. Well, that's what that that would that would qualify as an exclusive or as a new IP. Like, I think mm-hmm. yeah. single player new IPs would still be exclusive. I think multiplayer. I think Microsoft has the incentive to put them on other platforms, especially right now. But I mean, Jim Ryan's threatening to hold PS6 development kits back, and it's like, cool. You explain to your fan base why Call of Duty isn't on your console. Yeah, like that. That's a you choice at that point. That's a you choice. Yeah. And the shareholders are going to vote you out. You're going to lose your job. But um, I think that even in the case of like Elder Scrolls and Fallout, like maybe we see like a Final Fantasy situation where like they're exclusive indefinitely. And then, hey, two years later, here's the game of the year edition and we're going to put it on there. But like Starfield, Starfield's a new IP. We're keeping Starfield forever. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to pick up those Elder Scrolls? If Todd Todd loves re-releasing games, pick up those Elder Scrolls $6 off of them. But if it's a follow-up game made by like Obsidian, well, that's going to stay with us, right? I think that's I think those are different scenarios, um, and I think that's fair. I I think that's fair. But like, if it's a pre-existing franchise, I and I do think like with Elder Scrolls, it's a little tricky. But when I think Bethesda games, I think Xbox. I'm sorry, like I just do. You had what three real releases on your box, like on PlayStation? Xbox started with Morrowind. Morrowind is the whole reason why these games even came to console in the first place. Yeah. So I don't know. I digress. I digress. I'm gonna I'm gonna get upset about it. What about the Nintendo but, Direct though. I know. I, I I there was a lot in that direct for me. I, I know it wasn't like a quote unquote banger, but it man, was not. That dude, could have been an that most of that direct could have been an email. Dude, new 2D Mario. Hell yeah. I got very excited about new 2D Mario, about Super Mario RPG. Mm-hmm. Pikmin uh, 1 and, and 2 Amiibo. for me. Amiibos. <laughs> like, uh, Pikmin 1 and 2 for me, man. I'm like, man, you just ruined any chance of me buying Pikmin 4 at launch because you gave me so Pikmin So here's 1. my problem with Pikmin 1 and 2. <laughs> They've now been on every Nintendo console, every Nintendo home console over the last 22 years. I am so tired of these games getting re-released. I knew it was coming. These games should have been put out years ago. There's no reason you couldn't have done a triple pack. No, here, here's here's the thing though. This this fifty dollars for is, these games is egregious. For a bundle? Yes. These are twenty year old games, Corey. This is the mm. Nintendo tax, and I'm tired of paying it. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't I don't think fifty dollars for both games is. Terrible. I think fifty dollars for two GameCube games is absurd. That is fucking wild. This is this is not as bad as Advance Wars, but it's pretty close. Mm. Advance Wars is also egregiously priced. Well, I mean, that's I guess that's Nintendo for you. This but... wouldn't happen if we had a proper online console or virtual console. Excuse me. This wouldn't be happening. Yeah, but I mean, I think GameCube is that sweet spot where you can up-res those games and sell them for, for you know, 40 or 50 bucks a piece and still gross fucking gross i, I mean, the what, game is like arguably do. my all-time favorite console and i think this is disgusting i know and that's why they're doing it you know so no, i think you know what i'm but, you know what i'm gonna do Corey? when we're when we're done with this you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go in my closet 
I'm going to pull my GameCube mm-hmm. out. I'm going to pull out my copy mm-hmm. of Pikmin 1, and I'm going to play it on my monitor. That's what I'm going to do. With my WaveBird controller, because I still own all my shit from when I was a kid. Pikmin yeah. 1 is one of, like, eight games I still have for my uh, GameCube. Yeah. I've, man, GameCube, what a great console. Nobody bought What a great fun. <laughs> what an underappreciated console, too. Now everybody's like, like no. oh, I love the GameCube. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. That thing you did didn't not sell. You were that's a PlayStation same... 2 kid. Don't even lie to me. That's you were getting a, your a... Jack and Daxter on. All right, you want to hear some real hate, Josh. This is what I say about Earthbound every time somebody brings it up. Oh, oh I love Christ. Earthbound. Okay, you know what? How's come there were 75,000 copies in the Toys R Us $10 bin when I was like eight? And what is this game? This game looks dumb. Nobody bought it. Nobody bought Earthbound. You don't love Earthbound. You only like it because you want to be hip like everyone else. Shut up. Also, yeah, very overrated. I've, I've met like two people in my entire life who genuinely, I truly believe, love the Earthbound series. And they've even given up hope of there ever being a new game. It's like thinking there's going to be a new Kid Icarus at some point. Just give up the dream. I mean, we got a Kid Icarus game more recent than <laughs> Earthbound. I guess. Oh, 3DS. We got that 3DS version that really destroyed your hands if you tried to play it without the stand. I try to forget that Kid Icarus Uprising was a thing. Oh. Just like I try to forget every time they announce a new WarioWare game. Corey, get me out of here. Okay, I want to thank everybody for watching and listening listening to this episode of Tower Casuals. Uh, You can follow us on social media at Tower Casuals. You can uh, join the Discord. Join the Discord. Uh, Josh, thank you for your time tonight, as always. Uh, Always. Beefy show tonight. Very excited about this. uh, Oh, my God. Very beefy show. Very excited. Uh, Where can we find you, Josh? Uh, Twitter at just underscore fin two ends. I'm probably just gonna be screaming about the Mavericks though. Both good and bad You already are, judging by my Twitter feed. I know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be very up and down. I'm very upset. So <laughs> I'm, I'm. I'm happy and I'm upset at the same time. So yeah. Well, you can find me at I am Corey Nietzsche on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, yeah, like the podcast. Leave a rating or review wherever you listen. Uh, I should probably start saying that more. So do that. Tell a friend. I want to thank everybody for watching and or listening. And until next time, we love you. Goodbye. Bye-bye.